1: Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show.
2: Welcome in, Rob Black in your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll do my very best to give you some of the news and insights each and every day to help you make better informed decisions when it comes to all things financial. That's the goal. Do I always hit it? Probably not. But I do see things in life through the lens of money a little bit more mm-hmm. than I should. Pizza. What's the most expensive thing on a pizza? Is it the dough? Is it the sauce? Is it the pepperoni? Okay. Gold flakes? Probably the gold flakes, yes. But other than the gold flakes, it's Cheese. New company called 800 Degrees of Goo or 800 Degrees of Go. U.S. Market is expected to be a $54 billion market by 2023. Trying to figure out how to do that thing that we've been doing for hundreds of years differently is always going to be interesting. Um, because we know there's a ton of money in it. We know that the cheese is liquid gold. It's the most expensive part of the pizza. But how do we appease millennials? They're the pizza buying age. They're the ones who can wreck their body with cheese easier than anyone else, still bounce back for a while. So 800 go. It's combining sophisticated culinary offerings with cutting-edge technology. It's redefining the restaurant industry with a lower cost, a highly scalable concept, and the exact same ingredients, recipes, and cooking techniques that you would see in professional restaurants. Trying to slash labor costs and real estate costs without sacrificing quality. It's all about boosting margins because that's pizza's the same old thing. It's Apple needs to worry about their margins because they sell how many hundreds of millions of phones. So this 800 go company has basically created a robot and it's a pizza making machine. And you go, this is the dough I want. And if there's a down for you, this is the sauce I want. It throws it down there for you. The ingredients are are in tubes. You walk by it kind of like you would, how would you say, uh, a yogurt store. And you say, I want this, I want this, and those toppings. So, and then you put it together and you put it in the oven, it's good to go. Basically, you make your own pizza. More margins, why? Cutting out labor. Um, making a pizza to go kind of business model versus a uh, pizza here in our restaurant. I've always wondered how some restaurants succeed because pizza restaurants—the foot traffic isn't exactly big. <clears throat> it is at lunchtime, but anyway. So there's money towards pizza, and there's going to be businesses that you could always go after. Remember last week when Microsoft bought Activision, no, I guess, two weeks ago now. One big video game company <clears throat> decided to become a player by acquiring another big video game player. Sony's responded. <clears throat> Sony, the company behind the world's most popular gaming console, is buying an industry name synonymous with Microsoft. Bungie, a former Microsoft subsidiary, which you kind of have to think that Microsoft wished they hadn't spun them off. Bungie is the studio behind Halo and Destiny. The company developed Halo Combat Evolved, Halo 2, Halo 3, Halo Reach, before the studio went independent in 2007. That's when they launched their own franchise, Destiny. Both Destiny and Destiny 2 were published in an arrangement with Activision Blizzard until Bungie ended its publishing partnership with them in 2019. So it is a weird little web of partners, right? Sony is buying a premium studio for a premium price, all because Microsoft started a bidding war. No, it was actually King software. Take two picking up King to get more into mobile that started this. Now three players are gone. The industry consolidates pretty fast. Microsoft's controversial acquisition of Activision Blizzard which we'll get, we'll get through some regulatory hoops. Um, but Bungee picking up or Sony picking up Bungie is pretty much an easy one because it's not nearly as big. NXP semiconductor yesterday reported earnings beat expectations. The company authorized $2 billion share repurchase. Nice semiconductor company, great exposure in the semiconductor industries. The stock did well. The L.A. Rams are going to play in the Super Bowl this year. What's interesting is the Cincinnati Bengals are also going to play. The Rams, I think he could have made a case that they've always been on that verge of breakthrough. But the Bengals, they started the year off at 125 to one. It's the quickest ever turnaround in the NFL franchise history. From how awful they were to being in the Super Bowl. The Rams beating the 49ers was very interesting because Matthew Stafford, whose wife had brain cancer a few years ago, and man, the television camera finds her. They love Kelly Stafford. Uh, Pretty enthusiastic football mom or football wife. What's good news about this story is Stafford played for 12 years for the awful, awful Detroit Lions. Plays for one year with the Rams and takes them to the Super Bowl. <clears throat> How's that for a turnaround story? So it's, it's, it's Super Bowl on stories so far. Walgreens is considering selling its boots pharmacies to private equity firms. Over 2,000 boots pharmacies in the UK could be auctioned or spun off into a new brand. That's one that doesn't make a lot of sense for me. Walgreens has kind of expanded. No, they haven't kind of. They have expanded. And you know Walgreens. Into one and done pharmacy models with doctors and clinics in store company could be selling its business to focus on the US. Um, but it was a big acquisition to, for a pharmaceutical retailer to buy a pharmaceutical benefits distributor. I thought they would have given that model more time together in the UK. Because that seemed to be a pretty sweeping strategy. I saw an interesting NFT yesterday for auction. It's the handwritten page from the Beatles, Let It Be, written by John McCartney. Uh, John McCartney? What does that sound right? McCartney? (laughs) McCartney. So it's the handwritten notes and the NFT is starting the bid for 25,000 and they've got, I think, 50,000 already. But what's weird is it's it's a picture of the handwritten page, and you don't actually get the physical handwritten page. That doesn't feel very NFT to me. It doesn't feel like a collectible if someone else can take a picture of it and digitize it, or is this just theoretical? There's some problems here. Will it be worth more money if, let's say, the owner of the paper lights it up and burns it? Oh, it would go up big time in value. But will it go up big time in value if they take another picture of it? Or people just search for it and see it on the web and go, oh, I'm good enough with that. Some of the NFT markets can be a little bit bumpy. Some of it just doesn't add up and make instant sense to all the world. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.
1: Don't miss an episode of The Rob Black Show. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: A personal financial plan with custom investment advice. That's why Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP services were built with you in mind. How can they help you? Find out at robblackshow.com robblackshow.com. Joining me today, CFP and CFA,
2: uh, Adam Phillips with EP Wealth. He's the Director of Portfolio Strategy. A lot going on at the start of the new year. We've hit a correction in the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, but the markets are fighting. NASDAQ's down 12% for the year as of Monday morning. S&P 500 down 7%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 4%. The 10-year Treasury's ticking a little higher at 1.77%. Bitcoin's down 19%, and one of the darling stocks of last year, Moderna, is already down 37%, saying it's all about what stocks you pick, and it's a stock picker's market for sure. Adam, market conditions, I guess they've settled down a little bit as we start turning the page into February. What are you seeing in the current market action?
3: Well, I think we're seeing some welcome buying the last couple of days. We've seen some investors come in the last couple of days and and buy this dip. I was actually surprised to see this morning that last week's return for the S&P 500 was positive. It definitely didn't feel like it was positive. Um, And some might be wondering, is the worst of it over? The S&P 500 has recovered a little bit. I I believe that we're down uh, just over 6% or so from the peak on January 3rd. I don't think I would call the all clear just yet. Normally, when you get into these volatile periods, they, they tend to stick around for, for a little bit here. And um, I, I think it might be wishful thinking to assume that the worst of it is now behind us, since we still have some of the uncertainties that we're, that we're dealing with. Um, but I would say that, look, our outlook is still favorable. We're, we're happy to see some buyers come in. Uh, and I, I always just remind investors, it's, it's so tough to call the short term, but it's important to kind of take a step back when you're faced with this volatility and look further out on the horizon. And the long-term story still uh, still appears quite positive.
2: We do strongly advise clients to reach out to their advisors if they're feeling nervous about the markets, Monte Carlo simulations, and just conversations tend to ease most fears. Very important to stay proactive. Now, one of the things that's a big story in 2022 is inflation. I've seen stories about concert tickets, sporting events, steak, chicken, pork, everything's higher, car prices, gas prices, energy prices. The Fed Reserve, they have a mandate to fight inflation and promote job growth. The job growth we'll talk about in a minute, but let's talk about the inflation fight and what the Fed had to say last week.
3: Yeah, well, look, and inflation is obviously top of mind, and, and Jerome Powell has uh as recently retired that word transitory i, I don't think that anyone's uh, really saying that uh, inflation is is uh, going to disappear suddenly uh, anymore it's, it's it's it is here uh, it is likely here to stay for uh, for several months still what we've seen is and you've touched on this rob is that we've seen inflation broaden out into other categories actually um, th- there's a chart that i have in our in our presentation deck that we're showing uh, at the webinar uh, this coming wednesday And it just shows how it is no longer those areas of the economy that were simply tied to this great reopening, to this economic reopening and and these pandemic related sectors. It is now broad. And that means there's a lot of inertia with getting inflation under control. It's going to take some time. And so what we saw in the Fed's meeting last week is that they know that that uh, inflation is here. They're trying to take control of this narrative because there are certainly many um, who, who have made their voices heard and, and saying that the Fed is now uh, behind the curve. They need to get control of the situation. And so it appears that they, they heard that message loud and clear. They are uh, reducing the amount of their monthly bond purchases, known as quantitative easing. So they're going to wind that down uh, probably uh, by uh, sometime in March. And at that point, it is uh, all but guaranteed they're going to start raising rates at that point. And actually now the market is pricing in five interest rate hikes of 25 basis points in 2022. Really amazing to see how far we've come uh, since just a few months ago when we were looking at maybe one, maybe two rate hikes in 2022. Uh, and now it looks like the Fed is really shifting to a more aggressive response uh, to these uh, inflationary pressures.
2: Every now and then I I read something and I'm going to share this with you and maybe it'll hit you, maybe it'll miss you. But the Washington Post did an article recently about rent increases across the United States going up 30 to 40%. And some of them were in cities that maybe would have been alternative cities for where we live in Northern California and Southern California, like Portland's up over 20% and Phoenix is up over 30% and Dallas is up. What used to be cheap options for some of us, no longer cheap. And what, what was interesting about the article, they said something what I like, love your comment on is the type of inflation on rents going to linger. So you and I will probably be talking about this all year long, because when we sign for rents or when we buy a home, we typically buy it for a long period of time or rent it for a long period of time. Inflation is not going to take care of itself in a month or two, is it?
3: No, it doesn't look like it. And, and certainly, you know, that there's different pockets of inflation. We could look at energy prices. We could look at wage inflation, Some another topic that we'll be covering in a couple of days. And then there's rent inflation as well. We've seen that a lot of uh, the, the, the rental price increases, they're tied to the broad housing market. And we see that home prices on a national level, they've gained 20% or so on uh, year over year. So they've continued to rise. And so what we normally see is is rents uh, are are uh, they they really move with a lag and so they're usually quite a ways behind actual home prices and so if home price appreciation is is any indication of what rents are likely to do then rents have further to go and, and I've read similar articles Rob I, I read one this morning about how it's become so hard for home buyers to afford homes uh, with with this housing mar- market and now it's even hard for those renters as well and 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 uh, uh, those who have to rent are moving to different areas because they simply can't afford uh, the rent in, in their current na- neighborhoods and and so it's pretty unfortunate i would say that it's uh, it's probably not going to uh, to stop uh, just yet though
1: the Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com.
2: Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Just finished a book yesterday, Clara and the Sun by Ishiguru. I know I don't say Japanese names well. I don't say pharmaceutical names well either. It's not easy on the ears. Sorry. It's an amazing novel, unbelievable. Um, it's about a replicant narrator, a robot narrator straddling the line between her human and mannequin cells, depending on the nourishing of an, uh, a son. It poses the question of what it means to be fully human, which is one of the things we're dealing with really quickly as we start playing with the metaverse and artificial intelligence and robots. It's set in the near future, a lot like Blade Runner, but with very familiar details. So it's not set in the future with a cop and a bad guy. And one of them's robot, one of them's not. It's about teenagers slurping on yogurt while playing with devices called oblongs. There's a lot of flocks of machine birds that fly around outside, not quite visible from the open-plan living room indoors. So there's a lot of commentary put into this. Clara, of the story, is an artificial friend, an AF designed to attend to the needs of teenagers, a handmaiden hybrid, if you will, where we once read The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, and we learned... A lot about how men in society approach women and how become women become of Robert or of Fred. The main character was named of Fred. She belonged to Fred. And it really taught us a lot about society. Fantastic book, by the way. Don't let the bastards get you down is the the line that I walked away from Handmaid's Tale with. And who's the bastard? Um, so this hybrid is on sale in the window at a artificial friend, an artificial friend store. And I'm like, how far are we from artificial friends? You know, during the pandemic, one of the things that I, that killed me was that my children didn't hang out with other children. And when I moved this summer, I was like, please let this neighborhood be fruitful with children. So I'm a little religious there, but I'm about trying to be, don't refer to children as fruit. That's disgusting. But my son's got five or six friends that he's going to hang out with at the Super Bowl, and it's, I'm stoked. But do you know how close I would have been to getting my my son an artificial friend if I needed to? I don't think we're that far off with artificial intelligence. Clara's life changes in more ways than one. When a middle-aged woman purchases her for Josie, her thin, chronically ill daughter, Clara feels a pang of tenderness as she watches the two of them. Um, the writing is is stunningly beautiful. And this is the kind of thing that's going to win a people's surprise. And I bring it up in large part because as I'm educating myself each and every day for Wall Street, I'm also trying to understand the philosophy of how our society is operating with all the changes in artificial intelligence, money, retirement issues, Black Lives Matter, social problems facing America. The artificial friend develops a very complex world and a very generous, loving side. In a very chaotic moment to a robot, our lives seem less real, more vulnerable, more reliant on technology than ever. There's a lot of influences. Um, In the book, you can see a lot of the Simplica Girl Diaries, the Machines Like Me from McEwen. Um, Never Let Me Go, which was a fantastic book on how we can raise human beings for harvesting their organs. Um, We could do it. Something without a true mother or father, could we raise them? I mean, the thought-provoking journalism or the thought-provoking fiction is out there. Um, Never Let Me Go. Another favorite book of mine. Therefore, when I get a favorite, I stick with that author each and every time, even though I wasn't a big fan of Remains of the Day. Um, this is good drama. So, and it's something I think we're going to be dealing with sooner than you think. When you take a look at how much daycare costs in America and how daycare in America is so understaffed and poorly staffed, we don't feel like we're getting a good bang for our buck with our children. When our inflation costs are going up and up and up, during the pandemic, parents saw the cost of child care providers jump 40, 41% up to $14,000. <clears> you do that for three or four years and you can see how that's a whole retirement plan. Now, I understand daycare is a business and it employs people, which is great. I think the United States Army is a business that employs people. I think both of them have their importance in society of getting sometimes people into the business world who kind of fell through the cracks of high school and never went to college. I see that's what the military is. A lot of times it's a jobs training program. And I understand daycare is, it's not highly skilled, but we're underpaying people. Therefore, it's a problem. But we're also trying to charge the parents more. Therefore, it's a problem. Is it a government issue? I think it's more of a government issue than you know. I know a lot of my listeners right now are going, oh, they chose to have a kid. They chose to have a kid. But soon we're going to be making decisions on, should we give our children an artificial friend, which is a lot more affordable than a daycare provider? An artificial friend could also be geared towards uh, educating your child better than the real person. An artificial friend could monitor safety issues better than, say, a live-in nanny. We're not that far. Ten years at the most, at the most, we're going to be seeing robots taking care of our children. If you watch any CNBC, there's a security firm that's making security robots. Um, And they're very proud of this. The CEO is like... America's got a crime problem. Well, every building in America has a security guard on the weekends, and every one of those security guards is going to be replaced with a robot in the next 10 years. Or it's going to be instead of a staff of four working on the weekend, it's going to be a staff of one who's watching the robots. Restaurants, instead of having four people making your burrito, it's going to be one person refilling the burrito machine and you making your own burrito through a kiosk. So I asked the question on, like, do you have any interest in reading what I'm reading? (laughs) Because Clara and the Sun by Ishiguru, I-S-H-I-G-U-R-U. The idea of artificial friend really sparked business models for me. Um, Do try to educate yourself in books on occasion. I'm going to quote someone, and it's not my quote. Everything that I ever learned in life, I learned in a book. I learned romance. I learned passion. I learned investing. I learned that I didn't want to work till the day I died. I'm not saying that I had a broken school system or a broken father or a broken childhood. It's just I read a lot. Um, <clears throat> and it's probably the most powerful thing I try to teach my kids. And I, I repeat to them on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be books. If, if they're learning in, in the world of YouTube, I'm fine with that as long as they're learning. Disney Plus, HBO Max, and other streamers are getting wave of subscribers on hot programming. And now they're having a problem figuring out how do we keep the subscribers there? So, for instance, I'm kind of over the Mandalorian. For me, it would kind of represent something I could do with my kids during the COVID pandemic. So out goes Disney Plus. When will I come back to Disney+, Plus? when they come out with Mandalorian dies or the Mandalorian Part 10? I don't know. But I'm out. I'm deep-pocketed, but I've moved on because subscri- subscriptions drive me a little on the insane side. Subscriber measurement company, Athena, looked at how expensive it is on churn for these companies. That they spend a lot of money on the Mandalorian, and they want you to stick around. Or they spend a lot of money on Ted Lasso and they want you to stick around and you're like, oh, I binged all three seasons. I'm done. I'm good. I'll come back to it when there's two more seasons. Major releases have been a reliable driver of streaming subscriptions, particularly for the newer services. Disney Plus won far more new U.S. subscribers when they launched the musical Hamilton. Um, It was an exclusive. They had it. The movies weren't working in theaters. I'm not a big musical person. I know you're saying, but there's great ones like Wicked, which are non-traditional. I would, to me, I'd rather you put my wisdom teeth back in and pull my wisdom teeth out instead of seeing this. The Founding Fathers weren't quite hip hop, you know? It just doesn't do it for me. and I know some people are like, how about the one... The Book of Mormon by the South Park guys. I don't need it. Don't enjoy the experience of sitting in a seat for two and a half hours and watching people over sing. To me, that's like a bad episode of American Idol. If I wanted a bad episode of American Idol, I'd watch a bad episode of American Idol. So Disney is having a problem. Is it's a big tentpole thing, and then I watch, I like, go, oh, that sucked. Or I watch HBO Max for Wonder Woman 1984 because the first one was so lovely. Second one, very disappointing. Or I jump onto Apple TVs plus to watch Greyhound because Tom Hanks in a movie. Guess what? It's another Tom Hanks movie. And then I find myself going, why do I have three subscriptions? I need to cancel all of these. And it's tough for them to get me back. And it's expensive for them to get me back. Cost of acquisition. Churn. Very important subscription models when you pay attention. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show.
1: Find us at RobBlackShow.com. RobBlackShow.com.
2: Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I met my spouse after a tragedy in her life where she was needing kind of a financial anchor, some people to give her advice. And kind of like helping people a little bit too much. Um, it's a daddy issue that I have and well, we ended up getting married. So it's not quite like dating a student. It's A little bit more like dating a client, but she was a client because I was working for free. But you get the idea. Your first tax season after a divorce is brutal. Um, I had a marriage that lasted under a year, second marriage way better, but the first one, you still have to like get in touch around tax time and go, okay, you're not filing joint are you kind of awkwardness. My advice is if you're one of those people who are, um, recently divorced, try to understand that divorce is a big financial situation. First and foremost, one of the biggest mistakes I see during a divorce is the lady of the relationship, if there's kids, wants the house, and the man takes the 401k, he may grumble, but that's the much more important asset, in my opinion. Remember the old line, "What's what weighs more, a thousand pounds of feathers or a thousand pounds of steel? And the answer is the same. They weigh a 1,000. What's more valuable, a million-dollar home or a million-dollar 401k? I'm going 401k. Historically, the 401ks doubled the output investment returns of a home. A home has maintenance costs. A home has taxes. A home is an anchor. Now, that's not to say she's wrong in her thought. that Let's keep the kids in the house they're born in. Let's try to keep it as stable as possible. Let's keep them in the same school system with the same friends. I get all of that. But financially, the right decision is the one k My father died on my mom, and she lived another 20 years, 24 years after him. I wish she would have remarried. I wish she would have found someone to spend time with. She didn't. She had the home, but that also was kind of an anchor. There was some maintenance involved. There was some cost involved. There was a lot of emotional anchors in there. I kind of wish she went to a one, one level home. I kind of wish she left the state and maybe got into a community that didn't have young kids in it, but got into a community of seniors that was close to a hospital. So they could look after each other, go on walks with each other, bond with each other. So back to the divorcee. I think there's a lot of decisions that you make when you divorce that I'd be cautious on. First and foremost, when it comes to taxes, don't wait until April 14th. You find yourself preoccupied with matters of importance, like I have a date in January. Then in February, he's flying me to Paris. He's flying me to Paris. And then in March, oh, my, my new girlfriend's going to meet my kid. My new girlfriend's going to meet my kids. I'm, I'm really stressed. And then bang, suddenly it's April 14th. You don't want to get out of it. You want to find a CPA. You want to work together. Remember, you once loved each other. Even if it was only in Vegas on a fleeting weekend, you once loved each other if you can afford this, choose your own CPA. Um, so you, you both get looks at it in a fair manner. I've been offended by some of the stories I hear. I've got a friend whose parents, well, the dad had a big estate <clears throat> and the mother is starting to decline mentally with Alzheimer's disease. Now, the two siblings Dad left the entire state to the daughter to decide how it is being divvied out after the first million for each. But he specifically said, I want my daughter to have the house, which is probably worth two million. Basically, what he did was gave her three million dollars and his son one million. And they hate each other and they'll never talk. And what's weird is because it's a pretty small town in Santa Rosa, they're using the same attorney on, he's asking the attorney how can he break the trust and break the will? And she's using the same attorney to say, how can I not? And I'm like, that's incestuous. That's your attorney needs to be fired like that needs to go to the the California bar. He can't work both sides of a case. And oh, I guess in a small town, you can. It's like, little Doc Hollywood, right? So if you get someone first and foremost, like even with a divorce there's something called divorce mediation, and I'd rather you work with a mediator than an attorney. Somebody who's trying to work in both sides, both interests of both sides. That's trying to say, here's the legal process, let's save some money. We're gonna do a little forensic accounting so that you can't screw one another over. So if you can work with your own CPA, work with your own CPA, but know there's also CPAs out there who are now certified to help through divorces. If your divorce is still spending, file as married, filing separate. That way you can't hurt each other in a strange twist. If you're still largely married on December 31st, you can file as married, filing separately. Still benefit from that filing status while also protecting yourself if your ex makes an error in their tax filing. If the divorce has been finalized, file as single. That's not going to hurt you ever. You won't get double deductions, but you most likely won't be reporting two incomes either. And you might potentially even drop down a tax bracket. It's not the easiest thing in the world. And I, I know I'm spending your money on accountants right now. But I always run my taxes twice. Once is married and once is married, filing separately. Uh, just in case. And my CPA is always like, I oh, know this one's a no brainer, Rob, but I'll do it for you. Childcare. I saw a statistic yesterday that made me want to cry. Childcare is now as expensive as the cost of college. So remember how I used to say having a baby costs zero to $250,000 from the time they're born till the time they finish high school in sheltering costs and clothes and food? And that college for four years is going to cost you another 250000 So a kid would cost you $500,000 that's if you're a stay-at-home mom. If you're doing daycare, you get a, it's the studies are now showing it adds up to as much as a four-year college degree. Now I don't know over what time period, I don't know if we're doing pre-pre-kindergarten along with pre-kindergarten along with kindergarten, along with transition kindergarten. I don't know what you're spending money on or what where your time is being devoted in this kind of raising your child. But that's been one of the sadder parts of inflation the Republicans and Democrats are fighting over kind of it's pathetic to do this to people. Childcare is too expensive. And that's leaving the quality of our child care deteriorating as people are struggling to make ends meet. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing in more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.
1: Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show.